Hi, I'm Crystal Fisher, and you are listening to Eat Life, a podcast about nostalgia, social awkwardness, and the people you meet. I am so glad that you're here and that you're ready to jump on board with me as we remember some train wreck moments from my past. Um, But before we dive in, I just want to take a moment at the beginning of each show to shout out to some wonderful podcasts um, that I love. My favorite podcasts are about true crime and paranormal stuff. I love the ghost stories. And my first and all-time favorite podcast out there is the Haunted Heart podcast. This one's brought to you by Katie and Kenny, and they are the spookiest of the spooky. They do episodes covering all things horror and true crime and macabre, and they've built a wonderful spooky family that I'm so proud to be a part of. I just I just can't say enough about these guys. They're hilarious. I love them both. Um, go on over wherever you find your podcast. Search for The Haunted Heart Um, And you'll find them, and you'll be so glad that you did. But do keep in mind that their podcast, and this one for that matter, contain a lot of adult language and themes, and neither one of us are for kiddos. Some of these stories are extremely embarrassing, mostly for me, but I have included some people that I've met along the way, and I've changed their names. Um, I'm here to tell you some stories and maybe have a laugh with you, but I'm not here to hurt people. So let's let them and me stay anonymous. In preparing for this show, I read an article on psychcentral.com. It said, few adults can remember anything about what happened to them before the age of three. Now, a new study has documented that it's actually about the age of seven when our earliest childhood memories begin to fade, a phenomenon called childhood amnesia. Sigmund Freud coined the term childhood amnesia to describe this memory loss of the infant years. For me, this is absolutely true. I have pretty good memories starting around six or seven, but not much before that. Uh, For some reason, all the things that I can recall the most um, seem to be the horrible things that we do and say as kids. Another great article from Cora.com says that the memories that are tied to strong emotions, like humiliation, can be triggered by experiencing these emotions in daily life. Personally, I have been fascinated as an adult to how remembering and retelling of these stories, it's, it's still so raw. Like there's, there's a lot of feels. Um, and I wanted to share them and I wanted to share that experience with you listeners. So with that in mind, this is episode one, very first episode, very exciting. And I'm calling it Kindergarten Mistletoe. that most people know the name of their kindergarten teacher. They remember it the same way you can probably remember what your bedspread looked like when you were a child, what characters were there. But I had to look her name up. I remember what she looked like though. Mrs. Gable had kind of honey blonde hair. It was short and curly and this was in the very late 80s 
So her hair was cut like that evil chick in the pink unitard in that last scene of Ghostbusters. Um, according to Allure magazine, this was called a high pixie cut. I can also remember that she had um, those Sally Jesse Raphael glasses, the big square framed plastic kind that covered half your face in that same kind of signature bright red. It was very trendy. I'll get pics of both of these references up on the show notes and also on Instagram. But I remember her in these like loose fitting dresses that were complete with big shoulder pads and nautical stripes. The kind with like the big wide notched shawl collar. She was thin framed and probably in her 30s. And I remember her as being very nice. The kind of teacher that was always upbeat and seldom frowned. And if you saw her frowning, you knew that it was on and that someone was about to get in trouble. The classroom in my memory was very big, but I think that's everything in your earliest memories, that they're all like that. They're big and out of focus and with bright colors. And some things don't make sense. If you look too hard at it, you start to wonder what was real and what might have just been a dream or your mind just filling in the gaps to make sense of that memory, while other things are really perfectly clear. There's a really amazing documentary on Netflix right now. It's called Into Thin Air, and it looks extensively at memory and how it can change over time around certain events, and also depending on the number of times you've thought back to that memory, or depending on the number of questions you've been asked about that memory, your mind will selectively alter it. For example, I know that there was a colorful carpet that had a map of the world on it in a big oval shape where we sat Indian style because our teachers didn't know any better. There was no movement for PC and they simply just told us to go and sit Indian style. I also know that I was for sure on a mission to be the biggest suck up ever to impress a teacher. I raised my hand and waited to be called on. I paid attention. I never talked back. I was a snitch. You sure couldn't tell me any kind of secret. My work was always neat and correct. We had a student of the week award and I was always in competition with this kid named Justin for student of the week. Now Justin was also an accomplished suck up, almost to my level, but not quite. Justin and I would walk as quietly as possible back to our desks and assume the suck-up position. If you're not familiar with what that looks like, I can take you through it. I was very good. You sit up straight-backed in your chair, crossed your feet at the ankles, and laid your forearms on the top of the desk with elbows pointing out to each side. One hand resting on top of the other. I like right over left, but if you're feeling sassy, left over right is good too. This is also a popular way for those JCPenney portrait photographers to position you for portraits. There is also that kind of weird lunge thing with like one hand braced on the lunge leg. But in school, you looked directly at the teacher. You raised your eyebrows just slightly. So she knows that you are listening and ready for the praise that you know is coming. 
for being so amazing and so much better than all those other heathens that tramped back from the bathroom using their sleeve to wipe off the excess water from getting a drink at the water fountain. That same water fountain that always seemed to spray you in the face. You know the one, no matter what angle you approached it from, water was going to get everywhere. Now, when you are a grade A kiss ass, your focus is squarely on the teacher. It's all about getting praise from her. When she asks a question or for a volunteer for anything, you stretch your hand as high as it will go without you standing up out of your chair. And you assumed a look of stress so that she knew that you meant business and you had the answer. You don't really notice or care about your fellow students unless they were stepping out of line and then you could tattle on them to gain more attention from the queen of the classroom. And I would like to blame all of my social awkwardness on this early need for attention. But in truth, I was just a really weird kid. Socially awkward. Webster's describes the word awkward as meaning in handiness, inconvenience, lack of muscle control, embarrassment, or lack of tact. I'll give you some examples. My mother made costumes for the local high school drama department. As the youngest, I got taken along with her to many rehearsals and competitions. And at six, I was deeply in love with Shakespeare. I know. Weird. It gets weirder. You're probably thinking, well, maybe a little girl could get into Romeo and Juliet with the flowing costumes and the romance. Kind of like a princess thing, right? Nope. Taming of the Shrew. The Taming of the Shrew was my favorite. I probably saw it 30 times in rehearsals and on show nights, and my mom was always there doing costumes. And thinking about that now and understanding that that is by far one of Shakespeare's dirtiest and sexiest, slinkiest, most lewd plays. For those of you who are not familiar, I won't give you a summarized version, but just understand that it's mostly about sex dominance and money and I would tell just about everyone that would stand still long enough that this was my favorite play and I wonder how my parents processed that like when I came home from kindergarten very upset because the other girls on the playground didn't want to play Taming of the Shrew even though I explained each role to them in detail they laughed at me and ran away to play Red Rover now I was a fan of Red Rover for those of you who don't know or have never played, all the kids on the playground at recess form two long lines, all holding hands, and the lines face each other. You stand away from the people beside you in the chain, and you swing your arms back and forth as you all say together, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Sarah come over. And at this point, Sarah, from the opposing team, breaks away from her chain and starts running, balls out at your chain, aiming for the spots where people are holding hands. The idea is to run fast enough to break through the chain. And if you make it, if you break their hold, you get to take someone from their team back to your chain. If you don't make it and they can hold you in place, you have to join their chain. Wikipedia says that Red Rover is actually a game that's played by school children internationally. It is said to have origins in the UK and then spread to Australia, Canada, and then the US. 
And when played in Russia, it's called Alibaba. In Hungary, it's called... Holy crap, that's a lot of consonants. Aja Kirili Kantat, which means give king soldier. In Serbia, and those aren't even letters. Those are just characters. They call it something else in Serbia that translates to city crier and flag bearer. The article then went on to say that it has been banned from many schools today because it's said to be too rough, which is crap because we had so much fun with Red Rover and freeze tag and bubblegum bubblegum in a dish. But I loved Taming of the Shrew more. I guess I'm just trying to give you an idea of how hot the mess was. I mean, I had Barbie, but when I played Barbie, she was always solving a murder. Like a really grisly one that involves staging some kind of elaborate crime scene and answering lots of questions about why Barbie looks like that. Or she was having these torrid affairs with like all of Ken's friends. My dream house was better than any soap opera on TV. Also, I was super bossy and a know-it-all. Hard to believe, I know. Point being, I could not connect with kids my age. Because I could not connect with these kids, in my mind, I just kind of turned them off. I flipped a switch in my brain, and I decided that I could live in my head and be the best suck-up that I could be, and that that would be enough to be happy. Just get through the day, and at the end, there would be The Price is Right, my favorite show, and a bologna and cheese sandwich cut into quarters. That was pretty much my strategy for school from that point on, and that strategy works really well as long as the other kids leave you alone and don't notice you. Patrick Barnes. Patrick Barnes noticed me. Patrick Barnes did not leave me alone. He liked what I was working with, with my oh-so-stylish t-shirt dress and tights, goodies snap-tight barrettes, Those are brightly colored small plastic barrettes featuring various animals and symbols. My mile-high bangs that could only be accomplished with a curling iron and aquanet. For the kids born after the phenomenon that was 80s bangs, I'll break it down for you. You are welcome. Using a white hot curling iron, you made two curls facing the back of your head and one down towards your forehead. On each side of this tiny mohawk of curls, you would add an additional curl facing both of your ears. This became a perfect circle of curls that would soon be your bitchin' set of bangs. You then fluffed and fluffed with a pick, and you added one to two coats of the best holding hairspray available at the local drugstore. Although, no matter what, this creation always fell about halfway after recess, making kind of a half circle cliff of bangs right above your eyes for the whole rest of the day. This was a great contrast to hair that was so long I could sit on it. No joke, at six my hair was butt length. Patrick, however, had curly blonde hair and blue eyes. And he was the shortest kid in class. I was the tallest. I was the tallest in kindergarten. And this may or may not be the origin to dating issues that I would have later in life with short men. I did not know how to process attention from Patrick. I was very confused by it. 
For one thing, Patrick was not a suck-up. Patrick broke the rules. He got into trouble. He ran in the halls. There was a bucket of Tootsie Rolls by the door um, where we would line up to leave class. And Mrs. Gable would always bestow these treats on only the best suck-ups that were standing still and quiet in line. And yes, I always got one. And Patrick would steal these. I mean, he would just take them. He even got caught one time and didn't even cry when the teacher yelled at him. I would cry if she looked at me angry or was just angry about something else and then happened to look in my direction. I would probably start to tear up. But this devil-may-care-about-tootsie-rolls attitude fascinated me. It's really kind of sad, but I can remember this clearly as the first time that not only a boy appealed to me, but a bad boy. It was exciting, but it was completely terrifying. I had no skills for processing this. I still don't. Here's where it started. I didn't know how to react to the day that he got in trouble for violently pushing Justin out of the spot next to me on the carpet so that he could take his place and smile at me. Let me remind you, we are six. Boys are gross. And they felt the same way about us girls. It was torture when we had to hold hands to learn the square dance in gym. You know, the hand-holding where you very lightly touched as little of the boy's hand as possible with your thumb and middle finger, almost like two little crab claws interlocking. Or if for some reason you had to stand next to a boy in line, you gave a good eight inches of space, minimum, so that you didn't accidentally touch them. So to have this kid openly and unabashedly show me attention and even affection in front of the class, it made me want to crawl out of my skin with embarrassment. The other girls in the circle at carpet time would put their hands up and whisper in each other's ears and then they would giggle at my expense. But he just sat there, uncomfortably close to me, head turned fully to the side, just grinning. while I stared with all my might at my teacher and refused to make eye contact. It was my only defense. When Christmas time came around, I was excited, as any kid. Christmas was when you got stuff. I came from a real big family and we had enough of everything, but we weren't the kind of kids to like just get stuff. The stuff mostly came on holidays that required gift giving. And Christmas was the best. I loved everything about it. The feeling, the music, the drama, the decorating, and of course, Santa Claus. Santa and I were homies. Being a suck up, I knew that Santa was always watching me and I was just waiting to cash in on all that I knew was coming to me. 
Snowy days came, and Mrs. Gable had decorated our room with a Christmas tree. There was tinsel hanging from all the desks, and a big felt cutout of Santa Claus and his reindeer on the blackboard. A small sprig of green leaves hanging from a gold ribbon was found right in the center of our classroom door. Which, by the way, would never fly today, but this was the late 80s and no one questioned the teachers. There was a great deal of giggling when she explained to the class that this was mistletoe. That when two people stood under the mistletoe, they had to kiss. I'm sure she didn't phrase it like that, but in my mind at the time, it was like it was a rule. And we all know how I felt about rules. During the breakdown of this new Christmas plant that forced people to kiss, I made the mistake of letting my eyes slowly drift over to Patrick's desk. This was a mistake. Who knows how long that little creep had been staring at me with those blue eyes. But when he saw that I sought him out with my eyes during the Christmas kissing plant talk, he grinned. And I mean grinned. It was like someone turned up a dial on his face to 12. I'm sure in his six-year-old mind, I was now on board with this romance and he could not wait to get me in that doorway. Luckily, at that moment, the teacher called a bathroom break and my row went first. I was leaving the classroom and I noticed that Patrick was talking to some of the other boys in his row and he seemed very excited. Ah, oh, shit. That can't be good. So I go to the bathroom and as I'm walking back down the hall, I see Patrick. He's standing in the doorway under the mistletoe with his hands on either side of the doorframe. He was white knuckle gripping the doorframe and effectively blocking my entry back into the class. Grinning up at me, because remember, he's much shorter than me. I have to go past him. So I stop in the hallway. I gotta figure this out. That's when I noticed that there were three other boys from his row standing behind him. They were standing in line. They formed a line under the mistletoe. Now, I had to go in there. I had to sit at my desk. Student of the week was online here, but there was no way I was kissing this asshole or any of the other little assholes standing behind him trying to get a piece of his action. To make matters worse, there were other girls behind me who were just coming out of the bathroom and they were catching up and any second they were going to put the puzzle pieces together and see what was happening. They'd start freaking out. I had to act. I had to do something. I owe everything that day to Red Rover. I braced my feet and I started running, running at the door. I broke his hold on the frame on the right side and I flew past him back to my seat. I sat down and I looked directly at my desk and pretended to be invisible. I did not look at the door. I did not look at the teacher. I only wanted the burning in my face to stop. The lesson started and I drew up what courage I had left to look over at Patrick. He was sitting at his desk, quietly crying. 
There were big, fat tears pouring out of those bright blue eyes and silently rolling down his face. And he looked so sad. But he didn't look over at me. He didn't sit by me again after that. He didn't push people out of the circle. And he didn't grin. Now, as an adult, and the mom of a boy who's a little bit older than this, my heart just breaks for Patrick. I wonder if he even remembers this as the time that he put himself out there and was rejected. How long till he tried something like that again? I mean, was my treatment of him enough to put him off girls for the whole rest of the day? Or maybe the week? He was clearly an ornery and sensitive little dude, and I just hope that when this happens to my kid, and I know that it will, I'll be able to give him some perspective from the other side. Well, baby, you know, boys are gross. This is the part of the podcast where I respectfully and gently internet stalk people to see where they are today. Don't judge me. You know you do it. We moved schools when I was in the second grade, and I avoided him like the plague after that Christmas, and we were never in the same class again. I'd like to say that I got better at handling attention from boys, but no. If anything, I got worse. But thanks to the magic of the internet and our own willingness to put personal information onto the web, I can tell you that Patrick went on to graduate from that town's high school. From the yearbook pictures, I can see that he was in the FFA. For those of you who don't know, that is the Future Farmers of America. And he favored button-down shirts and camouflage baseball caps. Today, he manages a golf course. He is married with at least two adorable kiddos that I can see. He supports the Houston Astros and loves country music. And as far as I can tell, he still has that same ornery grin and big blue eyes. God bless you, Patrick. I'm glad you found someone who would not have broken your heart by rejecting you in the biggest and fastest way possible via Red Rover. You probably have no idea that you were the star in one of my earliest and most embarrassing memories. Now I know that reliving this stuff, we're supposed to reflect and grow and all that crap. But for me, I must be still maturing because mostly I'll have a laugh and then I'll scream a little inside. At any rate, thank you for coming with me today. I hope that you had some fun and that maybe my story conjured a memory or two of your own. I would love to hear those stories. One of my goals with this podcast is to connect with other people who maybe had similar experiences and eventually be able to share those stories on a listener episode with your permission, of course. All names would be changed as they always are in my stories, but it might be a fun way for us to learn a little bit more about each other to know that not everybody was cool when they were a kid. I certainly wasn't. You can send those stories to eatlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can access my website with show notes and other fun stuff at eatlifepodcast.com. If you liked the show and would like to help support the podcast, you'll find a link to our Patreon page from the website. You can stalk me on Twitter. I'm at eatlife3, eatlife the number three. And we're also on Instagram at Eat Life Podcast. And you can also join our closed Facebook group. It's at Life Eaters from the parent page 
at Eat Life Podcast Homies. Just click to become a member and I will approve you. I can't wait to meet the two people who listen in this safe internet space where we can all agree growing up sucks. So eat life. Thank you.